pictures are worth a thousand words, so I'll try to put some good pictures of really beautiful looking sponges. So you can listen to this, maybe look at that before you listen, so you'll be super excited to talk about, listen to me talk about um, sponge body plans. So I know that was a diverting couple of minutes for all of you. <laughs> you know, they're not going to hear you say that until they've already heard all of that. Oh. <laughs> okay, well, you can put that as the intro, right? I could, I could, I could, I could. <laughs> I don't know, that might scare some people away. They're like, oh, no. that sounded sarcastic. Is she happy about doing this? Body plans. Okay, welcome to Fauna Facts, the podcast where we talk about weird, wonderful facts about animals, hopefully ones you don't already know, and the interesting ways that people interact with them. So I'm Grace. And I'm Matt. And today I wanted to talk about sponges. Ooh. Ooh? I'm excited. Oh, okay. I thought that was like a dread, like you were dreading talking about sponges. No, no, no. You say sponge, I think marine animals, I think SpongeBob, I'm all in. Okay, yeah, you might know um, more about sponges than the average bear, just because... Average bear? Isn't that like a saying? Average bear? Average person? I don't... I don't know. Is it? Okay. Oh, maybe it's not. All right. Well, av- smarter than the average person when it comes to sponges, you might know more. Because um, I know your dad studied marine biology. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. before I took um, invertebrate biology, I knew nothing about sponges. I just knew they kind of, I guess I knew they were animals. Mm-hmm. But for a while, people didn't think they were animals. They thought they were plants. Oh. Because, yeah, because if you find a sponge, it's just kind of this... Have you seen a living sponge, what it looks like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like this kind of gelatinous blob thing with holes in it. It sure does. Yeah. So, but they're actually pretty awesome because... When it comes to animals, they're also mm, strange. I don't want to call them weird because all animals are weird, but they're they're strange. So I guess for our listeners, I don't know, maybe this will be new information for you as well, but I just wanted to remind people what animals were. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. when we get into the nitty gritty of sponges, um, there's some things that you assume that all animals have that sponges do not have so sponges have or animals they have to have made of multiple cells Mm -hmm. they can't make their own food Mm -hmm. but when it comes to things that we think of other animals having like tissue sponges don't have tissue at least there's some may there's some debate maybe like you can I guess traditionally we have not considered sponges to have tissue because they don't have like a basement membrane that the t- that the cells ad- adhere to. 
So they're just, all the cells are doing their own thing. Each cell has its own specialized job. And then that's good enough for the animal to live and reproduce. And yeah, I mean, they can't, they don't really move around. They just stay in one place. But they're good at what they do, so. So, let's see. I guess when most people look at sponges, like if you see a bath sponge, I think that's the most familiar looking sponge to people. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like those brown ones with a bunch of holes? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The ones that you can actually use as a real sponge. <laughs> yes, exactly. So those sponges, those sponges, they're skeletons. So they're lacking the living tissue. So... Sponges are made out of little spicules, most of them. They have little spicules, which are these little spiny things that are made of calcium carbonate or silica, depending on what kind of sponge. And then they have a jelly-like substance called the mesohyl. So that's made of collagen, or it's a special collagen found in some sponges called spongin. And that's where you find the cells. They have, so they don't have a circulatory system. They don't have a nervous system. They don't have a digestive system. What they do have is these little, we call them canals, which are those holes you see. Mm -hmm. And those are lined with these um, coenocytes. They're also called collar cells. And they just have flagella that move in one direction, and they draw in water. So they, they're they drawing in water. Do wa- you want to – oh, sorry. Oh, no, ask. I was just going to ask if you wanted to explain what flagella are. Oh, I was wondering if I should do that. So flagella are like – um, Paint a picture. Okay. Well, the one that everyone's going to know, if you imagine a sperm, the tail is a flagella. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these just have one. So they're stationary. They don't swim around. They're just lining the canals. So, they, yeah, they just have a little flagella that moves back and forth and moves water in one direction. And so they never stop. So sponges never shut off. They're just drawing in water all the time. And when they draw in water, it brings in all the nutrients they need to grow and where they get their food and their oxygen. And so those cells are bringing in water. And then in the spongy, the mesohyl, that jelly-like substance, there's these cells called archaeocytes. I don't have a simpler name for those. But they're these amoeba-like cells that are just... I guess crawling, because they're amoeba-like, to amoeba swim. So they're moving around in that, in the spongin, in the mesohyl. And then they're doing the digestion. Um, And there's a lot of other kinds of cells. I'm not going to go into all of them. Um, the, The archaeocytes are interesting because they can turn into any other kind of cell. So that's kind of why they don't need... There's, the cells are all doing their own thing, so it works out. But it's interesting because they don't have, since they don't have a nervous system, the, the sponge can only react. This, only the cells that are affected can react to something. 
So if you poke a sponge, the only cells that are going to react are the cells that you poke. Hmm. Yeah, which is kind of strange to think about. It is. Yeah. So some other cells that I think are important if you're talking about sponges, they have some cells that act kind of like their skin, just a single layer. So they they just act like the covering of the sponge. There's some cells that uh, specialize in contracting, so they act like the sponge's muscles. Some of them produce sperm or eggs. And some of them produce the spicule, some of them produce the spongin. Some of them act like immune cells, um, where they, they'll surround something. I don't know. I'm not going to talk too much about cells, because I think they can get boring and bo- if we just get bogged down in cells. <laughs> yeah, I actually don't have anything about cool sponges, because I think sponges by themselves are just so strange that this is just going to be sponge primer. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, sponge primer, sponge 101. Sponge 101. (laughs) Yeah. So the main sponges, we've talked about bath sponges, and those are, or I guess those belong to a larger group of sponges called the demospongy. So the demosponges, if you ever find a freshwater sponge, that's a demosponge. They can live in shallow water. They can live in um, the deep ocean. And they're the ones that get really big. If you find a big sponge, it's going to be a demo sponge. And 90% of sponges are demo sponge. Mm, Maybe it's 80%. I don't have that number in front of me. The majority of sponges are demo sponges. The rest of them, there's glass sponges, which I I don't... should send you pictures. So if you see, um, I think it's Venus's basket sponge. They look like... What? It looks really pretty. I like the name. Yeah. I, maybe I got that name wrong. It's a common name, so. Don't doubt yourself just because I like it. No, I. Oh, Venus's flower basket. I'm sorry. So these are part of the glass sponges. And these sponges, they, they're called glass sponges because they look like they're made of glass. And they're made of the same things that glass is made of. What? So they're made of silicate. So glass is made from silica. What? So that's what their skeleton is made of. That's so cool and weird. Yeah, and they're different from the demo sponges because instead of just being this jelly-like blob with a bunch of holes, um, they have this really delicate skeleton um, that will have this opening through at least i'm most familiar with the venus's flower basket because that's what we have for our collection i'm sure there's some that look different but if you just imagine a tube because most sponges are tubes Mm -hmm. of varying sizes so they just have this glass tube and then they have all these little holes and then they have a very very thin layer of cells and you can't call it tissue but a very thin layer of cells so they're really pretty. Uh, I'll put some up on the Instagram and blog. Can I ask a clarifying question? Yeah. So you've been very clear that it's not tissue. Right. What is the difference between, like, what makes tissue tissue versus whatever this is? Mm. Just oh, well, that's something I was going to look up. So <laughs> tissue, <laughs> it has to have a 
basement membrane. It can't just be. What's a basement membrane? <laughs> basement membrane, it's like the bottom layer that all the tissue connects to. So all the cells, they carry out the same function. And this is a hard question for me. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. They come from the same place. And they all carry out the same function. So the archaeocytes can't be a tissue because they're all doing different things. Hmm. I don't know. There's some argument in sponges that they do have tissue. I guess I'm not knowledgeable enough to know what those arguments are. I guess you could say, like, the epidermal layer of the sponge all does the same thing like all those cells do the same thing <laughs> but the archaeocytes the archaeocytes are definitely not tissue because they're just cells that are swimming around in well swimming is moving around in this jelly-like substance and then doing their own thing so that doesn't happen in animal in other animals <laughs> hmm yeah, other animals have, this is a muscle. All the muscle cells are doing the same thing. They get a signal, they all do the same thing. This is a neuron. It's connected to other neurons, and together they form a nerve. Mm -hmm. They're surrounded by these other kinds of neurons that protect them. And so, and they, you can say, like, during development, they all come from this specific point in development. And I don't think you can do that with sponges because they're all coming from the archaeocytes. Mm, okay. Yeah, which are there the whole time. There's also the calcareous sponges. So the calcareous sponges are made of calcium carbonate. That's why they're calcareous. I don't have too much to say about them. I don't know. Sorry, calcareous sponges. <laughs> I don't think they listen to this podcast. <laughs> they just, well, I feel bad because I got, I was like super hyped about the other ones. And the, the one we study, the one that we go over in lab is, oh, what is it? It's called Grantia. So the sponges, you define sponges by one, the shape of the spicules, those spiky things that if you ever hold a sponge and it's hard, or spiky, like not the sponges you want to be bathing with. They have spicules. Um, and that protects the sponge from things that want to eat them. Mm -hmm. If a sponge is squishy, then it has spongin. So those are what you want to be taking a bath with. <laughs> so these guys, they have calcareous spicules. And they're, all, they're also, sponges are defined by their spicules, and they're also defined by their canal shape. So, if you just have a little tube, you think about the surface area, so there's little, think of a little jar. So the, the psychonoid is where you have, pretend you have those really ugly yard decorations. <laughs> pretend you glued a, you drilled a hole in the bottom of each jar, 
So you just have a bunch of tubes. And then you make them into a big pine cone-like structure that had an opening out the top. Oh. Yeah. I think that'd be a pretty ugly yarn deck yard decoration but that would be but you can get bigger right because you have more surface area to get nutrients and water so that's the mm-hmm. the fig shape the psychonoid type body plan and then the last one which you can get really big is the leuconoid and those have uh, it's kind of like they have canals inside canals so that it's just a lot more complicated before you get to the center where all the water's flowing out I don't know if this is actually that interesting. I think I'm kind of getting you the weeds of sponges. But anyway, that's just one of the ways that people... (laughs) People, uh... Categorize sponges. Mm -hmm. I realized at the end. Hmm. Well, we'll see if people think this is fun. (laughs) And then... then, Okay, the last type of sponge I was going to talk about is the homo scleromorpha. So this sponge has only recently been discovered because it's most of them are encrusting sponges, which means they just form this thin layer and eat away at corals or whatever they're growing on. And so it's just this thin layer of sponge and very thin layer. So if you're like, oh, there's a slime. I wonder if it's living. Yes. Oh, I wonder, hmm, what is it? oh, it's a sponge, and that's why they haven't found it in very long. But this is one of those sponges where it has a basement membrane, so actually it does have a layer of epidermal tissue, or sorry, epithelial, like, epithelial tissue, that's like your skin, and like, it lines your um, organs, it's where a lot of exchange of nutrients and gas and other things in your body takes place. So. My, my. Yeah. Hmm. Maybe this is why we always, when we do the tissue lab, I'm like, why are we learning about tissues? (laughs) (laughs) So maybe this is why I have to teach a lab on tissues, and I just want to get to animals. But I guess this is why we learn about tissues in zoology lab. (laughs) Yeah. Hmm. That's, I mean... I don't know. I think I've been talking about sponges a long time. But if you think about these animals, there's a lot of other cool things about sponges. But I realized if I was ever going to talk about sponges, I had to get this episode out of the way. Mm. Ooh, it's a prime. Like you said, Sponge 101. And then you're going to bring back. Yeah. Like I haven't talked about. Sponge 201. Sponge 102. (laughs) Sponge 302. Okay. I feel like that gets pedantic. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah we haven't talked about carnivorous sponges what? some sponges are i mean those encrusting sponges they're creating toxins and like eroding what? away the surface boring sponges it's not because they're not interesting it's because they're boring holes and oysters and other things <laughs> yeah so <laughs> I think this is the end of my sponge primer. I'm sure I'm forgetting something. Oh! Oh, I know what I forgot to talk about. One last thing about sponges. I feel like there'll be a lot for you to edit. I'm sorry, but thank you. That's fine. One last thing. So sponges, I talked about how they undergo... They do sexual reproduction, right? Uh, Because they can produce sperm and eggs. The archaeocytes 
just start producing one of those, depending on the species. They might be female. Well, it's not a female. The cells might produce eggs or they might produce sperm in one individual. But anyway, but they can also just break off and form new sponges. They also bud and form these gemules. And the gemules are just these pockets that are covered with that are surrounded by spicules so they're pretty hard and inside is just a bunch of archaeocytes that can form a new sponge wow so that's pretty cool but the best part i was reviewing this in animals without backbones volume one (laughs) and this was written (laughs) this was i found this at a used bookstore or book sale and it was first published in the u.s 1938 revised edition 1948 whoa so it's very out of date but there's some things that are not but this sentence made me so happy some sponges are noteworthy under a certain kind of treatment their cells display a behavior which remind us strongly of the absurd cartoons which show a dog being ground to bits in a meat grinder only to emerge as small, compact sausages, which still retain some of the behavior of the original dog. (laughs) So that is what a gemule is like. (laughs) Okay, yeah. So I love that that is in a, I don't know if it's a textbook. It's like... It's definitely scientific, though. Yeah, it's a science book. It is a book for the lay reader of, yeah, lay reader, I guess. So (laughs) I also have volume two, but (laughs) volume one was the sponges and some flatworms. It is worth it for those little gems like that. Yeah, exactly. So with that, I think I am done with the sponge primer. All right. Well, thank you. You've made naming this episode very easy for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh. yeah, I don't think I left anything out. So we'll have more to explore later with sponges. What do you have? Okay. So I got inspired to look to research this because uh, I was at yet again another museum with my family, my parents, hilariously, but this time in New York and several months ago. So actually before the whole ostrich situation, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but there's the regular Met, which is very famous, Mm -hmm. um, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in the city that everybody knows. But then they also have the cloisters. Oh, I just know they have unicorn tapestry. I haven't been there. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really far uptown, takes a minute to get to, but my parents, I'm pretty sure they had never been, or my dad had never been, whatever. Anyway, so we went together, and it is very beautiful and cool, and, like, it's in this old, like, abbey, I guess. It's really funny that you mentioned the unicorn thing, because, yes, that's there, and to me, that's one of the most memorable parts of it. I had this book when I was a kid that 
I, th- I want to say it was like a collage interpretation of the tapestries and it was like a story. I think it might have been called The Princess and the Unicorn or something, but it was really beautiful and I thought it was really pretty. And, you know, as a child, obviously I was like, unicorns are rad. And as an adult, I'm still like, unicorns are rad. And in that room, in the room with all the unicorn tapestries, there's this giant horn in the room and a little placard that talks about it. Yeah. And that is what I want to talk about today. Oh, what kind of horn is it? Do you want to guess? Um, narwhal. You're so good. Well, that was my only guess. <laughs> <laughs> but it was right. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know if you know how big narwhal horns are. I'm gonna, I don't know if I've seen one. I mean, it's... Or sorry, I'm sorry, that's inappropriate. They're called tusks. I was just tricking you by calling it a horn. <laughs> Okay, good job. <laughs> you got me. I didn't though. <laughs> Let's see. Maybe I think they're taller than me. So are they taller than you? A tusk? Yeah. I don't know. Actually, I don't know how tall you are. I think you're average height. So. <laughs> Okay, actually, I said that, and then I realized I didn't have it in my notes. Hold on one second. <laughs> oh, well, if you're going to make me guess, then... I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's super long. I think... I'm going to guess... It is really long. Six feet. I think it's six feet. They apparently, according to narwhaltusks.com... <laughs> Ooh, that sounds legitimate. It does. It does. Uh, have been known to grow close to 10 feet long. <gasps> Whoa, okay. That's not the norm. It seems more like 7 feet plus is oh, okay. normal, which is pretty crazy. I guess that is taller than both of us. It's, you know, I hate to say <laughs> it, but it's, yep. Oh. I think I'm okay with that. I do wish I was taller sometimes, but, like, I don't want to be. You don't want to be 7 foot tall. <laughs> no, I'm, t- I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing. Well, that makes me feel better because then it's just taller than all people. Like, well, I guess there are some people who are maybe approaching seven foot, have passed seven foot, but most, the average person is shorter than a narwhal tusk. Right, right. So actually what's really interesting about this is, so in medieval times, whenever people found narwhal tusks, they thought it came from a unicorn. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of medieval depictions of unicorns, and I, I guess like maybe later ones too, have unicorns with these like really, 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 really long horns. So where did they find these horns though? Did they just wash up on the beach? So from my research, it sounds like Vikings and other northern traders were the ones finding them and then selling them. Mm. But they're not, I mean, there weren't a lot of them. They were very, they were super valued. Like, they were really expensive. They were really rare. They were, like, part of the treasured possessions of, like, very wealthy people. Mm -hmm. There is a throne chair of Denmark that's made of, quote, 
unicorn horns, but it's almost definitely narwhal tusks. And the horn of the unicorn was thought to be made out of something called alicorn. And people in Europe thought that the horn held magical and medicinal properties. Mm -hmm. So they would make cups out of the tusks and thought that that would negate any poison that would be in the drink. Okay. Yeah, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wonder – it sounds so – like, it's so weird because, yeah – I'm sure, like, Europeans thought that, but I wonder what the Inuit thought, because they were actually hunting them. Oh, yes. I have a little bit about that. Oh, good. Because, yeah, they know exactly what animal came from. They don't have Mm -hmm. mythical unicorns. (laughs) No, they didn't think any of that. I'll get to that in a second. So, like I said, the alicorn was thought to cure many diseases, have the ability to detect poisons, and so they're making all of these things out of it, but oftentimes it probably wasn't even actually out of narwhal tusk because that was so rare. It was like ivory or walrus ivory. Oh, yeah. Entire horns were really precious in the Middle Ages, and so if it was an entire horn, it probably was actually the tusk of a narwhal. And in Inuit legend, the narwhal's tusk was created when a woman with a harpoon rope tied around her waist was dragged into the ocean after the harpoon had struck a large narwhal. She was transformed into a narwhal, and her hair, which she was wearing in a twisted knot, became the spiraled tusk. Oh. Hmm. So, wait, do female narwhals have tusks, too? No. No. So, a little bit more about narwhals. The name narwhal actually comes from the Norse words nar and fal, which respectively mean corpse and whale. Oh. (laughs) And according to NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, that refers to how the narwhal's gray skin remember resembles that of a drowned sailor. Ooh. The scientific name for the narwhal is Monodon monoceros. Okay. I'm sure I'm butchering that, but it means one tooth, one horn in Latin. Okay. Hmm. Okay, so I was really interested in the tusk. Mm-hmm. It's only on the male narwhal. And it's, in fact, actually a canine tooth that projects from the left side of the upper jaw through the lip Mm. and forms a left-handed spiral, whatever that info was worth. It grows throughout their life, reaching from, like, 5 to 10 feet. It's hollow and can weigh around 22 pounds. And interestingly, which I was not aware of, about one in 500 males has two tusks. Oh, I think I've heard about that. Yeah. But it makes sense if it comes from the canine, because then it'd be the right canine, right? Is that where it comes from? It is. Oh. Correct. Oh. Actually, apparently about 15% of females grow a tusk, but it's definitely smaller and has a less noticeable spiral. 
And apparently, ooh, this is very interesting. In collected in 1684, there's only one known case of a female growing a second tusk. Oh, I think I think that's interesting because if it's like, you know, hormones, maybe it's like a lot of testosterone or something. I don't know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Hormone is causing. Yeah, this. I mean that's what I was. That was. I was wondering as well. I did not go down that rabbit hole, though. Sorry. (laughs) Also, it was 1684, so I don't really know what they'd be able to tell us. Yeah. So I was wondering, I don't know about you, like, okay, so what's the function of this tusk, right? I have an idea, but... (laughs) Well... Joe, do you want me to say? Sure, whatever. I interrupt you literally all the time. I think the tusk is for... Fighting other males, or the longest tusk is the sexiest tusk. <laughs> Those are my two guesses. Well, so very, very interesting. The proposed uses of the tusk were as a weapon, as you said, for opening breathing holes in sea ice. Oh, really? Yeah. Or wait, are these proposed or are they found out? Proposed, proposed, proposed. Oh, mm, okay. <laughs> In feeding as an acoustic organ and as a secondary sex characteristic. Okay. So I guessed one and four, but two and three are maybe. However, detailed analysis reveals that the tusk is a highly innervated sensory organ with millions of nerve endings oh connecting seawater stimuli in the ocean with their brains and the rubbing of tusks together by male narwhals is thought to be a method of communicating information about characteristics of the water that each has traveled through rather than you know the aggressive male-to-male posturing but, hmm, okay, <laughs> but if it's, if it's, you'd think, hmm, I want to read that paper, because it seems like that'd be really advantageous, right? Uh-huh. So why wouldn't females also? Well, okay, I'm not done. Okay, okay. They also, in 2016, there were drone videos of narwhals surface feeding in Nunavut, and They saw them using their tusk to tap and stun small arctic cod, which made them easier to catch for feeding. However, as you are bringing up, it's important to note that it can't be that critical of a function to have this tusk because the females don't have them. Yeah. Generally. And they actually live longer (laughs) than males (laughs) on average and live in are living in the same areas. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, general consensus says it is probably, like, the antlers of a stag or the feathers of a peacock or, you know, mm-hmm. a mating thing. Yeah. Well, you know, last fall I was in a seminar where you read on the selection of sex by Darwin. So it's part of mm. Descent of Man. And that was all just listing out. This animal has this characteristic. It's not useful. <laughs> it only gets them mates. And so I am just like, 
honed in <laughs> things like that now. I'm like, is it useful? Or is it just going to get them mates? <laughs> well, which is useful in its own. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Like, if you can get a mate, that's useful. Great. What else is there? <laughs> well, eating. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes me – I did not do this, but I should. It makes me want to research – deer antlers like how many nerves are in deer antlers like does it yeah i wonder like the fact that it has millions of nerve endings in these horns antlers shouldn't have any nerves but maybe horns right mm mhm interesting point but that's wait the, so it has nerves in the horn yeah or oh, it like has a nerve i guess if it's like a tooth you have like a nerve going into your tooth yeah hmm so weird. So it sounds like they'd be super sensitive. Yeah, and they're just swimming around with that. <laughs> Interesting. A couple quick facts to end on. The narwhal's closest living relative is the beluga whale. Okay, that makes sense. Both of them spend their entire lives in the Arctic Ocean and are similar in size and behavior, and on rare occasions have been known to interbreed. Oh, what are they? I think I've heard of those. They're like narlugas or... Oh my god, I was actually just going to say that as a just made up thing that I made up right now, but I really hope that's what they're called. What are they? Well, bawals. (laughs) That sounds bad. (laughs) I hope narluga is a thing. Me too. And then they live in groups, usually pods of three to eight, but sometimes up to 20, and biologists estimate that they live between 30 and 40 years old. Oh, probably would have lived longer, but it's just weird to think that I live longer than a narwhal, right? Is it? I mean, I guess I'm not, I'm not 30 yet, but <laughs> still, I don't know. They're so big. They have a tusk that is like twice my height. That's true. <laughs> so... You think? I don't know. Hmm, interesting. Okay. I mean, they also live in the Arctic, so. But I do think it's super interesting, mythical creatures that people just find bones and stuff, and they're like, oh, that's a cyclops. Oh, that's a... Uh-huh. I mean, it's interesting. Like, I get it why people did that long ago. Yeah. But I think it is interesting that there's this aspect of these... Scandinavians going and finding it and then bringing it back and they're like, yeah, totally. It's totally a unicorn horn. (laughs) Don't you want to pay us a lot of money for this unicorn horn? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And people did. That's also, it's just, yeah, all marketing. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. All right. Well, you want to send us off? I would love to. Thank you all once again for listening to another episode of Fauna Facts. We hope you enjoyed. Please rate, review, subscribe. If you want to see visuals, which Grace has alluded to, are quite key in understanding some of these things about sponges, you can find us on Instagram at Fauna Facts Podcast, or you can find us on our blog, which also has visuals for the non-Instagram users, at faunafaxpodcast.blogspot.com 
And as always, if you want to email us with any comments, uh, concerns, or animal suggestions, that's also faunafactspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and bye-bye. Bye.